book authors are imaginative architects inviting readers to embark on journeys of the mind and heart dedicating this segment to venture on such journeys in our journey podcast with your host smita gunturi hello everybody i have sharanda michel with me today and she wrote a book called and so she speaks your go to guide to own and accept your radiant truth thank you for being here uh, michel thank you sorry michel please go ahead tell us why do you write this book what made you to actually start this book with wow um i love this question and the reason why i wrote this book is because i wanted to help the high achievers that were like myself the women who know how to get things done professionally but personally it's a whole another story and so you may wrestle with how do i become personally vulnerable when professionally i could tell you the procedure the project the process like the back of my hand but if you ask me what i like it's a uh let me get back to you but i also wrote it for the men who are also high achievers that are looking to get in touch with who they are and really own their radiant truth when you're talking about the personal vulnerability uh I I recently started to go for a therapy which was like a free session from uh the company that I work with and she asked like how do you feel about this specific thing I myself never know how to be vulnerable on the personal space and my answer to her was like no comments <laughs> she started laughing and she said like hey that's not how it works in the therapy you can't say no comments you got to speak about it So when you're talking about personal vulnerability how far are you comfortable when you started the book being that vulnerable it did not exist and to be honest i used to believe that being vulnerable was for the weak that crying was for the weak um my mother i love her to death she taught me how to get things done to handle it to move on to go forward and so it wasn't really a lot of feeling in all of that and then going into the story in the very beginning in all transparency i was going to go hey let me write a book and tell you how to do it from the mountain top i'm going to tell you how to do this but here's the blessing in the pandemic it took everything away from me where i had to go in so the real me could come out what is the real you then so like i was sharing earlier about you know being so involved into my work and getting it done and like a many of your audience members and those listening um i got all the degrees the accolades i did all the they said to do i even led a team that saved 17 million dollars on one project i am a best selling author but it hadn't always been that way it wasn't because of my skin color it was because of uh being a woman it was because of the tone of my voice that i didn't think it was enough to speak and so when i was giving myself to my job when i was giving myself to the position when i was handling doing and getting things done that's when i felt valued and it wasn't in handling those projects that i intentionally kept people away because i didn't want to get close to the real me how hard was it to go to that process go through that process to be vulnerable and whom did you open up yourself for the first time great question uh i don't have children but if labor pain feels anything like this that's how i would attribute it to because 
I thought that if I gave myself to the job and the midnight oil that, you know, I would be seen and I would make it up the corporate ladder and all those things. But at home, it was a different story because out, you know, I had the car, the good credit, I dressed the part, I did all the things and I looked the part, but at home, I couldn't run away from me. And so I first, to answer your question, had to get comfortable with knowing that I was running away from me and that the very person who needed me was me. So identifying a problem, the problem is actually existing. I didn't yeah. know it. Yeah, it was, it was identifying, wait a minute, you are all things to all people, so to speak. And as women, we tend to wear a lot of hats and handle things and you create this facade of being superwoman who isn't even real yet the person who is real which is you you may not be comfortable with or know much about yourself as you give to other people or as you give to your family or as you give to your positions and so the blessing in the pandemic was that it allowed me to go in to face the thoughts that I didn't want to deal with it allowed me to see that in all honesty I was running away from my heart. And when I spoke, it told on me. How I was having conversations with people, you can hear how brash, how aggressive my language was. You could hear just, and I didn't know unbeknownst to me, how the pain I harbored, the unforgiveness that was in my heart, the uh, things that we stuff and suppress just kind of stayed where it was. But when I spoke, it would stink like a perfume. And I'm sure we all kind of know someone, be it a family member or someone that we talk to and you dig their, you feel their energy and their vibe. And it's like, oh man, that person, that was me. Until I got the courage enough to learn how to love myself from the inside out. Society does a really great job of telling us to look the part and dress the part. But what they don't do is allow you to simply be who you are. If you don't mind, and if you are comfortable, what is your story actually to start this book? You said okay. your story made you to write this, but what is your story? So this reminds me of the crux of the book, which is when I was four years old, I remember sitting in front of the floor model television watching Mary Poppins, the Chim Chim Cherie on the chimney sweep scene where they were on the London rooftop. And my parents were in the kitchen talking, they were fussing and it was just the radio station that I learned to tune out. And it wasn't until I heard the words elevate from the kitchen where my mother was making dinner. I don't know um, what my father had said to her, but there was a pot of hot water on the stove. And whatever he said, it made her grab the pot of hot water. And while he missed the hot water, the hot water didn't miss me. I still remember to this day that ah, how the water pierced my neck, how it saturated my clothes, how it ran down my arms before it dripped on the carpet. Ah. I still remember the kicking and the screaming that I was doing at four years old while my mother, she came to console me. Externally, I was okay, but there was a drip that she didn't see. There was a scar that she didn't see. And that was, they left me alone. And for the rest of my life, 
every time I had a emotional wound, I call that a drip. I call that a scar. And I didn't voice it. I didn't express it. And so every time something happened, it festered like a wound. I didn't know I had this wound for most of my life. And so that wound deepened. So when I went into corporate America, when I tried to have intimacy with someone, when I tried to have a relationship, it wasn't until I knew that I was missing from me because I wouldn't allow vulnerability, I wouldn't allow emotions to be expressed from me. I needed to heal from the inside out. And that's how I learned. And I learned to trust the process each day that regardless of my circumstances, regardless of my family history, regardless of what I went through, that I would be more than okay because I learned that it's all effing good. And effing in the book is an acronym that stands for part of the problem I learned, one of the lessons that I learned and I'm looking to share with others is that we have to get our emotions under control. It all starts with emotions. That's the E. Then it's focus. The reason why we can't get to where we need to be is because we can't focus. Because your emotions aren't under control. But when you can focus, you're then able to, which is the next F, fear comes up. And it's like, oh my God, how do, how do I check my fear? Because if you've ever been in a place where you've had an idea, but you didn't express it, you have a conversation that you want to have with someone, but you don't raise your voice to have the conversation because you feel that resistance, or you may think, I don't know, it's all fear. But when you learn that I have the power, which is what the I stands for, you know, like you know, that you come here fully loaded with everything that you need. When you know I have the power, nothing can stop you. No circumstance, no situation, nothing, no resource, nothing can stop you. And when that's the case, it's game on. It's all game on. And so that is the premise on why I wrote the book, how it hit me in my spirit to know that everything that we go through, every situation is such a blessing to really qualify us for what we're made for. Growing up, when you're having this kind of a mindset, like growing up, what was your lowest point when you are an adult with this fear that you are having? The lowest point I had was, hmm, oh, okay. I remember... Again, I was doing all that I could to be seen in the corporate America role. And I remember there was a particular project I was leading where I gave a thousand percent of my effort. And when it was time to get our evaluations, the raise I saw was 3%. I gave a thousand percent of my effort. I remember walking into the conference room with my manager it was dark and only the sunlight that you can see with the windows um, open, it was cold. And when I saw the 3% and he expressed, you know, thank you for doing a good job, that I didn't get the promotion that I was actually looking for, 
I heard everything and nothing at the same time. And while that may be a figure to some, when you put so much of your worth into your work and you don't know who you are, as a high achiever, that accolade, the bonus, the achievement, the position is what gives you your value. And when that was taken away from me, it was a very low point for me. But here's the blessing in the low point. If I didn't have the low point, it wouldn't trigger me to go deeper into me to be able to write the book, to be able to relate to those who are also standing in their story of, hey, the job has the power to promote me. Hey, I'm waiting on the job and making my happiness conditional. So it's such a blessing and a gift to be really qualified for what we're made for. And how I like to say it too is, if Mercedes Benz were like, hey, we're going to give you this brand new 2027 vehicle. We have not tested the engine. We have not tested the tires. We have no idea how the parts are going to play out. But listen, we're going to take care of everything for you. We didn't expect it, but here are the keys. You're going to be like, um, uh, no, thank you. So why do we go through life like Everything should be easy. Nothing should be tried. Things should happen prematurely. Have you ever been into a place where you're like, listen, um, I want the microwave version, please. <laughs> like, let me skip past all of this to the happy ending part. What is your biggest fear? Or what was your biggest fear? Not really allowing everything that's within me out. The visions, the stories, uh, the things that are gifts that I really have in me, if I don't get this out to help humanity, that is what fears me. Because when I go deeper into who I am, I'm letting the vulnerability come out. I'm, I'm knowing that I am here, like we all are, for a purpose. And I like to say, if forks, spoons, and knives have a purpose, then what about you? But because society and life and circumstances pushes the college, the career, the marriage, whatever the things they push, it uneducates us of who we are. And so when you're younger, our language is so, I have the power, I'm awesome, I'm doing it, I don't need any help, I'm doing this all by myself. And somehow we grow up and totally forget about your dream and your passion and we trade our language to a powerless language for things like, I'm tired. I don't know. I don't have any money. Now that you're talking about your purpose, how, when did you understand what your purpose? First, what is your purpose? When did you understand it? With the fear that you are carrying, how did you overcome that to start living in your purpose? Love it. So my purpose is to help women and a few courageous men lead, speak, and receive. I'm here to help them walk in and accept the luxuries of the heart. How I learned to accept this is that I allowed myself to start feeling the feelings that I suppressed. I let myself come head to heart with my father-daughter wounds. 
I let myself forgive. I let myself let go. I allowed myself, and I'm saying this very tongue in cheek, but in the book I talk about, and we don't have time to go into all of them here, I know the cycles of crying. Writing this book was the first time I ever allowed myself to emote, to cry, and not judge it. Now that you're saying you're trying, you learned how to forgive yourself. What is forgiveness in your words? Letting things be and really seeing through the eyes of your heart and not the logic of your head. When I see you through the eyes of my heart, I'm not thinking about what you did because I understand the action, the behavior is separate from you as the person and you as a spiritual being having a human experience. It's not until we infuse the story and the logic and the emotion that comes where I let a lot of that emotion and the anger take away time I could have had with certain people. How did you start your healing journey and how long did the process take? I started my healing journey in 2019. So pandemic my healing journey is quite fresh. That's what pandemic gave you the opportunity to really see. Listen, the blessing in the pandemic really let me see that I was the one I was fearful of. It let me see that I was, I get to be alone with myself. And I did not realize how much efforting and doing how much weight I put on me I didn't realize that there was a massage that I was receiving and in the middle of this massage I was breathing it was the first time I allowed myself to feel and be present with what was going on my mind wasn't going someplace else when it was happening I could be physically emotionally vulnerably present and feel every rub, every stroke, and even the music in the background. Yet it hit me how the thousands and thousands of weight of pounds of pressure unnecessarily I put on myself to achieve accolades that I didn't even want. That moment was such a turning point for me because I could feel you don't know how much weight you carry until you let it go. And your introduction somewhere I read, like you take the reader on a journey of uh, self-acceptance, self-love and the worth of self-talk. What do you actually mean by every word? Like I've been hearing that self-love everywhere. You, you hear and you see the quotations these days about self-love a lot. What is self-love that you are describing and how do one get to love themselves? Love it. So self-love is being able to put yourself first, you being able to value the value of valuing you. A follow-up question for me there. If I'm understanding, you're talking about self-worth as well. Is that right? It's, it's, you can't have one without the other. 
but it all starts with loving yourself. And that's at the end of the day, you're either hurting yourself or you're loving yourself. It's, it's so simple at its core, but to many of us are so used to putting others first because that's what, you know, society may say, or it comes across as selfish, but at the end of the day, you can't help someone else unless your cup is filled. Your abbreviation, like I think <laughs> you said, like I meaning I have power. I have with the power. Relating with the way that you're expl explaining about self-love and knowing your worth. How do one understand uh, what their worth is? Knowing your worth helps. And in my experience, knowing where you come from and what's inside of you. And there's a beautiful example I remember reading um, in a book of Dr. Monroe. I forget which book it was. Um, if your laptop has to be plugged into electricity, it has to be plugged into a wall in order to power on, then what about you? There is an inner force within us that is the same substance in the universe that powers everything and when you really sit and trust that that power is in you to create and we use it every day so naturally that we don't even think about it if you have thoughts of um I don't know maybe I'm hungry or there's a certain dish or if you think of someone it's like hey let me call this person well when you put that stuff out there it really comes back to you and you can see how much of a creator you really are. But what would actually happen if we were more intentional about putting ourselves first, tapping into what is really within so that you can really bring into your reality what not only you need, but what's also gonna serve humanity. What is that one thing like really, really focused on one thing that I learn when I read your book. It's all laughing good. <laughs> I thought about that. <laughs> well, that is so genius. <laughs> that is so genius. And you also mentioned your book. It, it is your story plus also a transformative journey uh, for others to pick up and understand really what they wanted to transform into or like yeah, how they can... Uh, they can pull up the steps from the book that you are seeing. Everybody's journey is so different. How do you think your points will be common for everybody? And can you give an example picking out from your book? Oh, sure. Um, and this is a beautiful question where I feel that while our stories may be different, the process of healing, the process of growth, it's all the same. And that's why it's so easy to say, as long as you're a spiritual being having a human experience, <laughs> it's, it's kind of like uh, cars. Most cars, you know, they all take gasoline. They don't get apple juice or grape juice and those kinds of things. And so when it comes to humans and their journeys and what we do, it's basically the same. I'm not negating anyone's circumstance or saying one is greater, but at the end of the day, 
if you really want to get your heart right, your, I should say your mind or your life right, it has to start from the heart. And in the book, um, I start with emotions and we start going through what is that emotional train? What is that roller coaster or even your family ties that you have really been conditioned to think, but at the age where you are now, have you chose to think again, to really be intentional or are we letting certain past circumstances really control us? Because at the end of the day, only you can do you. And when you step into that, there's now a view of focus. And when you can really focus and hone in on what matters, you get to see what layers you want to take off, how I can let this go and really step into what I call the wilderness of feeling, releasing, and letting things go. But that's the beauty of taking the, the, the river or the boulders, if you will, in the current. The water has to rock the boulders before it lifts it in order to be free. And so I ask those who read the book and those who are listening to this, what may you be holding on to that's buried so deep that it's time for you to let go? Because that's the process of how you get to know you. And this isn't something that you can really run away from. It's something that has to be done by you. And this is the best part of really knowing that I have the power. It's at this point where you're really seeing what you're really made of. You're really seeing and you're opening up to the love that's inside of you. You're getting tested by your mindset. You're getting tested by your appetites. You're getting tested by your motives. And you can see today by people's appetites, their motives, their desires, those who are truly getting to the heart of it, experience life on a whole new level. You are going to go through those contractions of crying that start with the clearing and releasing. But when you get to that celebration and crying, that's then where I liken it to when the baby is born and the mother receives that child, you know, you don't even think about everything that it took to get there because you're so wrapped up in that moment. You were talking about letting it go and everybody's scenarios are definitely different of letting it go and depends on what the wound is all about. How being an empowerment coach, how do you tell somebody to let their past go? Because it's not easy to let go. For example, like I'm I'm wounded with a lot of things from my childhood up until now. Like I, I have a big story. There are a few parts that triggers me even today. Yeah. If somebody is using a choice of words too, it's just not about like a scenario, whole scenario, even a choice of words trigger us. Mm -hmm. Though I feel like, yes, all those, I'm healed from all those things and I have like go of those things, these triggering things still happen. But how do you actually like completely let go of something that cannot hurt you or trigger you anymore? I love this question and thank you for sharing this because I would also throw a question back at you and ask, are you really healed if you're really being triggered? I'll say yes and no for that because 
majority of the time, like 99.9% of the time, I don't really care what uh, what is like the choice of words are like, what are the scenarios that triggers me? Mm-hmm. But if you are, if you happen to live with the person that hurted you, if you have to live with the person, you are actually seeing them day to day, whether they use the words, whether the scenarios come back or anything, it doesn't matter. But you are living with that person and it always comes back. You are not actually, you cannot come out of that person again. I'm not talking about the spouse that you can just leave divorce or go away. Like, let's just say an older parent that you are living with, but your majority of the your, your childhood wound is from the parent. Mm-hmm. And you cannot leave your parent at this moment because they are old and you are living with them day to day. You healed your part, but since you are living with them today, there, there are triggers for sure. So how much healing that you need to have to not to feel or like to completely go numb from what you are living day to day? So I love this and I want to point out that there are certain levels to your healing and that a lot of times that we don't celebrate how much we have actually healed from. And so when you also can take a moment to recognize your growth, but also really get head to heart with, am I wanting to be right? Or are you really wanting to reconcile? Because when it's true forgiveness, you are putting that person in a place as if the incident never happened. And so if there is a trigger that's happened, I would venture to say there's still some healing to be done in that area. And some of the ways that I've done and I've expressed with others is let's really get pen to paper and write out what are you angry about? How are we letting that emotion really get out? Because again, if you're stuffing and suppressing, it's like a crock pot and it's simmering. So that's how the blessing in the pandemic allowed that emotion to come up. And so it's so key that we have ways that we're allowing our emotion to be released because it's then easy to be triggered because you haven't dealt with it. You may have dealt with it at the surface level, but the part that may be the ugly cry, the part that may be, you know, I may need to have a conversation, the part that may be what you may be upset about that maybe you had not expressed, or there could be also a portion of, and again, I'm saying to express this however it's convenient for you. Um, In the book, I talk about having a forgiveness moment. And in that forgiveness moment, it's an exercise where you can write out the things that I've mentioned, as well as setting the mood, you going to get a hotel room, getting time for your space, and really being honest with, why do I really feel the way that I feel about this? And not let your head give you the answer, but let your heart bring the answer to you and not judge it and not allow yourself to relive the moment, but just get what you need. 
because I promise you, when you start feeding and giving yourself what you need, you then can pivot the situation to write about or even visualize that person saying what you want them to say to you. Have you allowed that part to land in the underbelly to have things to change so that you not only seeing through your eyes, but you're seeing through your heart. It's a deeper, deeper work. And as the transformational love leader, it really lets me see that at the end of the day, you recognize what's a heart problem and not a head problem. But if we live so much of our lives as neck uppers and your head is always making the decisions, we're getting all this head knowledge and education, but we're not allowing a heart to lead. And Dr. Monroe has a quote that says, uh, Dr. Miles Monroe has a quote that says, uh, sight is a function of the eyes, but vision is a function of the heart. And when it comes to unforgiveness, and some may cringe when I say this, but it's such an opportunity to see what needs to be corrected in you that you would have never had, had the person never had the offense that occurred, but you can only heal to the extent that you want to feel it. And that's where being in community and having someone um, such as myself or someone else you connect with to help you through this. And I really feel that that wilderness is where as a transformational love leader, I'm not pulling you out, but I'm here to help you push. And I have read in your introduction, like there is a deep sense of appreciation. How do you practice your gratitude? Oh man, um, I have gratitude. I'm a sticky person. I have gratitude stickies. I have gratitudes on my mirror. Um, there are times where I go put my feet in the grass and I just pause so that I'm really poised to pounce to celebrate what I'm grateful for. Um, there's music that I like for gratitude. There's all kinds of self-care me days that just let me sit in the gratefulness and not even like to go future forward and see those that I'm going to help, um, those that I'm going to serve. And I have their faces that I'm feeling the gratitude now of where I want to go. So I, I can stay in that heart space and let the Niagara from my eyes just fall and flow as I'm practicing gratitude. What is uh, fulfillment for you? Love. What is love? Love, love is the fulfillment for me. It's putting myself first and knowing that I'm walking in my vision and that I'm connected to the source within. And in that space, that trifecta, you can't go wrong. You're you're so you're really going by what you see in your heart versus what you see in your eyes. Because from that place, when I'm really loving and I'm loved, no different than um, plants that need soil in the right environment, I'm giving myself the right environment. That way 
I'm making the best decisions. I'm surrounding myself with the best people. I'm enjoying the best of the best. And who doesn't want that? That to me is that total fulfillment, but it all comes with valuing you, the power of your voice, and really letting your heart speak so that you are operating at such a level of royalty and authority. It's, 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 I love it. It's just, it's just love. It's just love. How do you define success? Being all you are created to be. How about freedom? Freedom. Freedom to me is being, feeling what you want to feel and creating that what is really in your vision. That's freedom to me. You might have heard from friends when you wanted to start this journey, like so many advisors, correct? People will jump into suggesting you do this, do that, giving you an advice like, yeah, go this way, go that way. What is your, what is the best advice that you have got and the worst advice that you have got? So the funny thing about this journey is I didn't really tell anybody. Um, it was very interesting when I, <laughs> when I, uh, started this path, um, in 2019 and it was actually when I was writing the book, um, in 2021, um, when it was finished, I left my job of nearly 25 years in corporate America. And the only person I told was my mom. And I had a coach at the time in that cohort. They're the only ones that I told. And there it was so much support and encouragement. And it was so much love that I trusted the space to really do it. And like, they're like, Sharonda, you have your vision. You know what it is that you want to do. Like the sky is the limit. Just do it was the best advice that I can say that I have. Um, and I will say on top of that, I read, I did tell my mom and when my mom believed in me and what my vision was, that just brought tears to my eyes because she would tell me like, uh, she would be one to not hold her tongue about if this was not something I needed to be doing. <laughs> As only family can do. And the worst advice, um, I can't say that I've had the worst advice. I can say that when it's vision and it's authentic, other people see your vision they see what it is and it just blew my mind the level of support and encouragement that if I could say the bad advice may have come from me because I had to grow to where I could believe it and see it because it terrified me. Hence, it was great for me to write the book. <laughs> so every lesson and what I went through, I wanted to create a program in a book. So it's not that you're reading and you're getting information, but this is a step-by-step -step journey so that we are together partnering through the exercises, the questions, so that you are very strategic and forward-facing so that you have your next steps for your life. On the same lines, people will always say, like, I would, I wish I would have known this earlier. Mm -hmm. So what is 
that one thing that you felt that you would have known this earlier? I wish I would have known the gift of feeling, like feeling your emotions and just really feeling your intuition about your inner advisor and what comes out for you. I would hear a lot of talk, um, especially when I was in religious circles and things of that nature, but I didn't really understand it. And so I heard a lot of parroting of certain words and um, proverbs and things of that nature. Um, I wish I would have known that feeling was okay and that it is okay to cry. Like it is so okay to cry. I now have cry parties. It's amazing. I set up days to cry. It's <laughs> because so you just need it. Like you with you, you need a good cry. You have a good cry. I'm telling you, grab you a bottle of wine, just pour some music out. And it is some of the best in the world. And it just releases endorphins from you. I just feel that part. If I knew about what feeling does and how so much we are our own inner compass and how, how our inner advisor um, talks to us. If I knew that then, OMG, but everything happens for a reason. And I feel that the level of maturity I had to come to within myself, I'm exactly where I need to be. On a funny note in the same line, how many times did you cry while you are writing your book? Oh my God, honey, I can't even count. But let me just say um, that... I'm surprised my tear ducts still work. Okay. Like I feel that I have cried to every capacity. It's to the point now where my fa <laughs> my family is like, and I'm here and we're at dinner, we're in public, private. I don't care. It's now like, hey, I just want to take a moment. And they're like, don't you start crying. Don't you start crying. And I'm like, hey, I don't care. I just want to celebrate my sister and her brother, um, her husband, my brother-in-law, because they have such the best marriage that I've seen for young people and we're all here and it's just so heartfelt now that I can cry at the drop of a hat if it's a movie if it's a compliment um if I'm in the dance floor like my sensitivity to crying now is like <laughs> if you need someone listen but that's also what kind of happened in the cycles of crying. I went from stopping myself all this time and we typically see crying as this bad, um, weak thing. Um, but when you get to where the cleansing and the clearing that happens with crying and then you get to the celebration part of crying and now I just live in the celebration of crying and that part can happen all day. All yeah. day. Absolutely. Absolutely. What is one thing that you valued before and you don't value it anymore after your transformation? What people think. I think it's because innately we are born to be leaders. We are born to dominate. And um, with that, you know, there's a lot of attention there. And it's even more so to we're we all connected and so to be liked to be loved it's really something that everyone kind of desires and it's that also plays into that sense of belonging and so that but you have to know 
again, loving yourself or hurting yourself when it's negative, when it's positive, so that you can really authentically trust. But when you know who you are and when you spend time with yourself and what's within you, then it doesn't matter what other people say, what other people think. And that's the beauty of what I'm learning of ideas and imagination. Because no matter what the naysayers say and things of that nature, everything we have here has really been an idea. It's never been done before. So we are here as these royalty beings, spiritual beings having a human experience to create change, to do, to elevate, to do all kind of stuff that's never happened. Yet we all like that you know what, someone to say, we're doing a good job. You know what, I recognize what you're doing. I know that it's because we're connected, because we're all here through relationship. And relationship isn't always easy, but when we get it right, it is so worth it. Thank you for tuning in. And you can find me on all the socials at Smitha Gunturi and the show notes for any resources mentioned. See you next week. Take care.